Rhonda Lee Chapman describes herself as a sustainability generalist, active in outdoor spaces for decades, from enthusiast to advocate to policy influencer. She is equity director at the Trust for Public Land, a national nonprofit best known for its work in urban conservation. On Thursday at 5.30 p.m. at Chattanooga's Waterhouse Pavilion, Rhonda will give a presentation on reimagining our relationship to place for Civic, the speaker series from Chattanooga Design Studio. I spoke with Rhonda, who is based in Washington, D.C., and Christina Gibson, the studio's outreach and development coordinator. Rhonda, Christina, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Thanks, Ray. It's good to be here. Rhonda, tell us more about your work with the Trust for Public Land. The Trust for Public Land is an organization, a conservation organization that has been around for, we're coming up on our 50th annual celebration next year. And we're a national organization. We have, I think, about 28 offices around the country where we work very closely with communities. And we have the belief that everybody deserves to have a 10-minute walk access to a park. And so we work with communities across a whole host of platforms, including our community schoolyards. We work with our 10-minute walk campaign. We work with other locations. We're not just in the urban spaces. We're also in the rural spaces around providing access to land and building trails. Sometimes they're hiking trails. They're mixed-use trails. We work with different communities for biking. And so as the director of equity, it's really about trying to ensure that we're doing it right. (laughs) Making sure that we are, when we say that we are working in communities of the highest need, it's usually communities that have continuously been marginalized. A lot of times it's based on racialized policies that are longstanding. So it's oftentimes about infrastructure. It's sometimes about disinvestment and we come into the communities and work very closely with them they often invite us to come and help them kind of right the wrongs of the past. And so when we look at the structural equity, we look at the procedural processes that are tied to policy, we look at the distribution of resources and knowledge and information. We have an amazing research and innovation team that is tracking data not only of the 100 most populous cities in the U.S., but of 14,000 cities where we're looking at how parks are being distributed, the amenities associated, the qualities associated. And we just last year, for the first time, applied a equity component to our assessment to look at where parks are relevant to income, relevant to race, relevant to other disparities that we tend to use as different markers. And so it's a lot. It's a lot to track. It's a lot to provide guidance on. There are a lot of policies that we are tracking, such as the Parks, Jobs and Equity Act, etc. So it's a big job and it provides a lot of opportunity. And how were you drawn to the outdoors? For me, it has been a lifestyle for a very, very long time. I think it probably started growing up in the suburbs here of D.C. in a county that previously, like back in the day, was just a lot of open land. We had wetlands, we had horse farms, and I was essentially an only child for the most part. I'm the youngest of four kids. And so it was kind of, my parents would say, 
they would open the door and say, go find something to do. And so the thing that there was to do was engage with nature. And I just subconsciously developed a strong love and appreciation for being outside. It was my companion. It kept me company. And so fast forward to, you know, graduating from high school and, and getting a first official full-time job. And I worked with Greenpeace as a canvasser. And then it just seemed that things started to roll over. So, you know, again, it's always when I get this question and I get to look back on where did this even begin? It started then. And then I found myself spending the entire decade of the 90s living in the mountains of Utah and being a ski bum, living the lifestyle, living the dream where, you know, you didn't meet for coffee, you met for a hike and got super engaged in just finding peace and solace and fitness and joy and spirituality in the outdoors. And, you know, that's been 30 years going strong. I was just sharing with Christina before we started talking that I was on my bike this morning and just being outside riding my bike to the grocery store is something that just invigorates my body. So it's just a lifelong passion. And Christina, what is it about Rhonda's story and her work that speak to what Civic is all about from the Chattanooga Design Studio. I was introduced to Rhonda by our director, Eric Myers, who was just totally enchanted meeting Rhonda in Chattanooga on her last visit here and talking to her about her work with Trust Republic Land. And I've just also am so enjoying getting to know Rhonda and talking about her work with her. And she's really challenging, even just challenging me to rethink the way I think about community and the way I think about land. One of the questions that I think we'll be orbiting around in this upcoming civic is who are we prioritizing when we talk about community? Because something that we do at the design studio is really try to focus on designing and advocating for healthy neighborhoods and healthy communities and excellent design of urban public space. But who are we designing that for? Who are we planning for? Is that always equitable? Everything from the way a meeting is set up to the way a landscape is designed. So I think that Rhonda's work really speaks to, I think it's her work is both incredibly overdue and also right on time, the kind of lessons that she has to share and the kind of work that she's doing. So we're really excited to have her in Chattanooga to raise some tough, sticky questions about how we relate to land and how we relate to community and how we live in right relationship to land in Chattanooga. And the title for this roundtable conversation that you will facilitate, Rhonda, is Reimagining Our Relationship to Place, How We Decolonize Design Thinking to Inspire Collective Well-Being. Christina filled in some of the questions that that title might raise. But when we talk about decolonized design thinking, what do we mean by that? We have a lot of practices in our society. I used to work with municipal government. I worked, that's kind of where I cut my teeth when we talk about sustainability and we talk about equitable design and equitable development. And so I've worked with a lot of planners. I've worked with a lot of landscape architects. And one of the things that I have witnessed, and this isn't, I can't speak for Chattanooga, But one of the things that I've witnessed is we are really good at crafting 
our imagination for a place that is going to be beautiful and that's going to have these amenities and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes we design spaces, design the people out of spaces. (laughs) And so what this is challenging us to do is to flip the script a little bit and to really design with the people in mind. And when we say, as Christina was just illuminating, as we, when we say community, it's what community, for whom, and by whom. And what we know about the demographics here in the United States, and even in Chattanooga, things are changing. And so what we have been doing for decades is not necessarily suitable And so when we're designing spaces, we also have to think about safety and not just our physical safety, but we need to think about what it means to have a sense of belonging, what it means to be welcomed into a space, whether we see any elements of our individual culture conveyed in the way a space is designed or laid out. And so what we want to consider doing sometimes is putting the textbooks aside We want to put the manuals aside. We want to look at our traditional thinking and everything that we learned in grad school, and we want to put it aside for a moment. And we want to talk about what the actual experience of place is and whose experience, again, is being revitalized or is potentially being shut down. And so as we're talking about the way we're looking at our spaces, what is the gaze that we're applying? And oftentimes it's going to be the people who have the most decision-making opportunity. It's usually going to be the people who can fund the quote-unquote solution. So it's a power play very often. And so if we want to decolonize our thinking when we're designing a space, we have to look at some power mapping opportunities and determine who exactly is making the decision. And so it's a, it's an opportunity to have some fun. We're going to explore some new ways to think about the work that we're doing. And we also have to always remember that all of us here today, myself included, we are all brokers of stolen land. And that's really important for us to keep in mind. And so Indigenous people, Native Americans have not gone away. They're still here. They're still very present in our daily life. And it's very easy for folks to get comfortable and kind of brush over that reality. And as we look at our amazing immigrant population that's coming to the United States, and we know that we have an increase in our population in Chattanooga, are we engaging? Are we thinking about the crops and the foods that we're planting in our community and urban gardens? Are they cultural foods? Are they foods that folks can come here and feel a sense of home when they're engaging with a garden, right? So there's a lot of fun ways for us to think about it. Christina mentioned that you've come to Chattanooga before. When you have come here, where have you gone in nature and in the outdoors? Which places around here have spoken to you particularly? Oh my gosh. So I was only there once before to visit with our team at the Trust for Public Land. And I only had the opportunity, my colleague, Daniela, who will be with us, did her best to like got in the car and we drove around where she was able to point out different areas where we were doing our work. So I didn't get a chance to engage because I just didn't have the time. But there was one park And I'm so sad that I don't remember the name of it. There were two parts, actually, that we were able to walk through. 
and have a conversation with some of the community partners that we were working with, both of whom were African-American women. And we talked about the work that they were doing and how those were being utilized and whether or not they had, again, that sense of safety, that sense of belonging, whether they had the empowerment to determine how those spaces were used. And one instance, one of the community partners I was talking with is a member of a very large church, a Black church. And she was talking about because of the pandemic, because folks were not engaging inside, they were having church outside in the park. And it ended up that they had a larger number of congregants coming to this space because not only were people eager to get outside, but there was actually more room and they had a greater need to engage with folks in this faith-based way. And so they ended up turning that space into an area for youth programming, et cetera, et cetera. So I apologize that I don't remember the name of the park, either of them. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And Christina, if people want more information about Rhonda, about Civic and this event, where can people go online? So if people want to get more information, they can go to the website, chattanoogastudio.com and check out the Civic page. Civic is spelled C-I-V-I-Q. So it's chattanoogastudio.com slash civic. And there they can find information about the upcoming event with Rhonda, as well as a link to RSVP on Eventbrite. All right. Rhonda, Christina, thanks so much. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Ray.